What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview entrepreneurs on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Daniel Gertner, the queen of ownership. She helps other women take control over their lives through the science of habits and mindset. Recently, she challenged herself to leave her comfort zone behind by moving from Gainesville, Florida to the east side of ATX. So welcome to Austin, Danielle. Whether you'd like to learn animal flow, host a retreat or event, or just need to get better at owning up to your own shit, she is your go-to girl. So sit back, relax, and learn a thing, or 12, and give it up for Danielle. Hell yeah, I got one (laughs) of my great friends on the show today, Miss Danielle Gertner. I'm excited for this episode. It's Friday. We're about to have some fun on the weekend. We were just talking about going to a concert on the water. I think my friend's DJing on Lady Bird Lakes. That'll be interesting. But the first thing I wanted to get into on this conversation is Danielle moved to Austin, Texas during quarantine. And I wanted to ask, what has that been like going to a new city where you didn't really know that many people? And now what? How many months are in are we? Uh, about three months in. Yeah, Three months? So... <laughs> Run us through like how those three months have been for you moving to a new city where obviously shit kind of hit the fan a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you a little today. Um, Man, it still feels very much like a blur. It has been a really interesting journey and I think very necessary the way everything worked out. Um, I was really close to pulling the plug when I found out like how serious the pandemic had become and how things were going to be shut down in Austin. It was the the fear brain, right? Like, what the hell am I doing? I'm not going to meet anybody. I'm not going to be able to get involved. And like, I just might as well stay here. Um, but and my, where was here? Where'd you come uh, from? From Gainesville, Florida. Awesome. Go Gators. <laughs> you got to do it to him. Um, yeah. So I recognized that fear brain. It was the same fear brain that had been keeping me in Gainesville for as long as it had. Went to UF, stayed there for about four years after graduation. Knew I had wanted to leave, but didn't pull the trigger. And yeah, it was kind of the ultimate test. So I decided to do it. I said, fuck it. We're going to do it. We're going to see how it goes. And um, it's been everything I needed, not everything I knew I needed, but everything I needed. Like it was a huge test of my ego because I knew I wanted to come here and jump into getting involved and meeting people and let Austin know that Gert was in town. And that obviously couldn't happen or it had to happen in a different way. So I've met a lot of people, had some really, really beautiful one-on-one connections and have had the opportunity to really redefine who I want to be and what I want to be and how I want to impact. And I don't think I would have taken that time if everything was open. I would have jumped right into going to the DJ set at Lady Bird Lake or doing all the events. And it really has allowed me to slow down, which is great. Oh, yeah. And from the sound of it, it, to me, it sounds like you're owning your shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get into that. Yeah, that's that that is Daniel's brand. But you mentioned that you went to UF and I'd love to know a little bit of your backstory because this is actually something Danielle and I are friends, but I don't know much about the 
pre-Gator Danielle. So where did you grow up and how did you end up at UF and what did you study? That's a very great question. That's right. We don't know that part of each other's story. Um, I grew up in South Florida, born and raised in the 954, so Fort Lauderdale uh, area, Pembroke Pines specifically, if there's any Floridians listening, um, and was an athlete my whole life. And what sports? Cheerleading was my main sport. Nice. Um, I also ran track. I played a little bit of flag football. Just loved to be outside moving my body. And anyway, I danced for a really long time, but track and cheerleading were really the the main were your parents sports. athletes or how did that how did you get into it oh was yeah it them or you or? oh yeah no my I pretty much everything I am is my mom for awesome. sure uh yeah my mom has, was an athlete her whole life she was a triathlete uh, I always have to say this because she's so badass but she was the first woman from North Miami Beach to qualify for the Ironman in Hawaii That's went awesome. to the Ironman Hawaii finished the Ironman in Hawaii and uh yeah definitely like my discipline and my work ethic comes from from my mom I think my my more down to earthness comes from my dad. He's a he's a real hippie hippie at heart <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Hey, it's a good mix if mm -hmm. you can mix two of those. I'm trying to lean into the other side. I'm an athlete as well. Like from age three till yeah. literally now, just I got to be moving at some capacity. But mm -hmm. I'm leaning into my parents kind of have that hippie vibe going on as well. So yeah. that's where I'm leaning into that a little bit. But so you love sports. Love sports. And what drew you to stay in your home state of Florida and mm. go to UF? I mean, my brother went to school there. I don't remember this like defining uh, draw to UF other than that I knew that it was a prestigious school and um, I wanted to stay in state. I didn't want to go out of state. I never really had an interest going anywhere else. And I think what really did it for me was the first time I went to UF's campus. I was visiting my brother when he was in school, did all the things <laughs> you probably shouldn't do when you're first <laughs> yep. visiting, went to all the frat parties because he was in a frat um, and just really fell in love with just the future me that I envisioned when I was there. And so yeah, in 2012, I became a Gator and I studied business administration and specialized in communications and leadership development, minored in entrepreneurship and nonprofit leadership. And here we are today doing, yes, doing what I studied, but not in any way the way I thought I was going to be doing it. And I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. And that's the beautiful part about yeah. entrepreneurship is like there's so many different lanes that you can get into and mm -hmm. so many ways that you can make an impact. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that I love it the most is because like literally I never thought that I'd be sitting here with an office doing the podcast yeah. with our team and everything. Like <laughs> that was never a vision of mine. And then now we're here. So it's super cool. But you go to UF, obviously we all go to school or we don't go to school and we think our life is going to become this thing. What was kind of your first step outside of school? Because for me, I didn't really know myself. So I was kind of just following the path of everybody else. Mm. But I'd love to know if that was kind of like what you fell into yeah. or you started following your passions sooner. No, that, that's a great question. No, I was one of those conveyor belt babies. That's what I call it. That when I, when I got to UF, I was stuck on this conveyor belt of like, this is how you shake a hand and this is how you fill your resume and this is how you dress professionally. And I was climbing this ladder of success, super involved all four years of school. I was an ambassador to the University of Florida. I was in five different business organizations, like doing it right, checking off all the boxes and um, was on a really great path to working for Amazon. I did an internship with them. Um, I got a full-time job offer. And I think what really woke me up was 
when I did the internship, I didn't like it. And this is not because of Amazon. It was just the work that I was doing. I didn't love. And I kind of thought to myself like, oh shit, is this really what I've been working towards? Like what actually is happiness and success to me and wealth and fulfillment? I'd never asked myself those questions. I was just kind of chasing what everybody else my whole life had told me those definitions were. And when I was a junior is where things really started to shift. I became, um, or I started a boot camp at UF called Gator Grind, which still exists today, which is pretty cool. And just, I don't know, nothing excited me more than that boot camp. So what inspired you to actually start that? A couple things. Um, I played sports, like I mentioned, my whole life. And when I went to UF, I wasn't recruited D1. Shame on them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it was they're not lost. that good. Um, but yeah, I just I did I decided not to go that route when I got to college. So I found the gym for the first time and really started getting into weightlifting and realizing like oh my God, I have so much power over what my body can do and what my body can look like. And little by little started doing that. Originally, my business was founded on this concept of the world is your gym. So showing myself and other people to get outside and using steps and curbs and benches and really whatever you have around you to move your body. And people started asking me questions like, what are you doing? It's really awesome to see you working out and, and this boot camp and blah, 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 blah. And so I realized a lot of people were trapped by this same conveyor belt mentality, just following what they've always been told and not stepping off that conveyor belt, asking themselves, do I even like where this conveyor belt is leading me to? Um, and whether that's in school or in fitness and health, whatever it is. And I realized a lot of people were, were trapped and really overwhelmed. Like if I don't go to the gym, I can't live a healthy lifestyle, right? Like I can't get fit if I don't go to a gym or if I don't do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, fuck that. I'm going to start a boot camp, but I'm going to show people all the different ways they can move their bodies outside of a gym. Cause it was, we did it at the stadium and little by little it grew and grew and grew. I remember fall of maybe 2015, we had 96 people show up to one of the workouts and it was it was incredible. And it was right around when I just finished the internship for Amazon. And I just realized nothing excites me more than doing this. And when it came time to make that decision of what my life was going to look like after graduation, I was like, well, I only live once and I don't have much to lose if I start a business. So I'm going to do it. And oh I yeah. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I love this story because I had no fucking clue yeah. that you were going to work at Amazon. Because if you know Danielle today, it's like that's so far yeah, it would from be pretty crazy. what you would like anticipate. What was the you internship? You imagine me? Like... Yeah, no, I cannot. <laughs> what What was the internship for, one? And like what was the full-time role that they were going to hire you for? Yeah, so it was an operations leadership intern. And I'll tell you what originally drew me to Amazon at the Career Showcase. Because every year, twice a year, fall and spring, UF does this huge Career Showcase where hundreds of recruiters from Deloitte, PNG, Amazon, Google, like you name it, come and you get all spiffy. And I was so drawn to Amazon. I always felt really out of place at Career Showcase, like even in a suit. I had a dope ass suit, by the way. My, my mom got me this like cool custom badass suit anyway. But I always felt very out of place. I don't. I don't feel like myself in a suit. You know me. I'm barefoot. Like, I'm very flowy. And Amazon was there in a t-shirt and jeans. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, that's more my vibe. So I just went up to them and started talking to them. And there was a role for an operations leadership intern. Really did not understand what operations actually meant. I think I was more 
drawn to the word leadership. I'm like, oh, what's a leadership intern do? So basically it was, it was a great internship because I had a lot of responsibility. I oversaw about a hundred associates in one of their fulfillment centers in Lebanon, Tennessee. And this fulfillment center was like a million square feet. It was huge. It took me 10 minutes to walk from one end to the other end. It was crazy. And it was my role to manage operations for this team. And I can go into a lot of details about that, but I'll spare you those for another time. But yeah, I I just, it wasn't for me. It was, I was in a building all day. There were no windows. It's crazy (laughs) how similar this is to my story where like my first real internship was at a pharmaceutical manufacturing Mm -hmm. plant. And it took me literally 10 minutes to go from my car to my desk. Yeah. Because we had to walk through like three different clearance places because we were working with controlled substances. We had to walk through a a metal detector in and out of the building every day. And like we'd have to do like, so there was security I had to go through and like there was no natural light. Like there was no light near my desk whatsoever. It was all yellow light. I really started realizing that I didn't, this wasn't for me because my whole life like growing up, I kind of like would butt heads with my dad. And I was a very rambunctious kid. I always wanted to do different things. And like when he would come home, like we were always the family that like left the party early. Mm. And like I wanted to be the person that stayed late. Yeah. And like I always just wanted to to do more and be more. And we would butt heads. But when I went to that internship and then I came home, I was like, holy shit, I know what his life has been like makes sense for now. 30 years. And yeah. he didn't have a choice. Like he was putting food on the table for two kids and my mom's taking care of us and driving us to practice and all these different things. And it completely flipped me on my head like, oh man, like he had to come home to my, me being an asshole after like 10 hours at the yeah. office and a one hour commute. Like I was like, I get it now. This, But this is the thing. I was immediately like, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. So I started seeking my pathway out. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's so hard. Like I didn't turn it down. You actually turned down, correct? You turned down the Amazon offer. Yeah. I didn't turn it down. I went, I dipped my feet into the other world for a little bit. So if if you turned it down right from the get-go, what was waiting for you? Mm. A lot of ambiguity, (laughs) Um, a lot of unknown. Yeah, um, nothing. Just my boot camp that I had started and a lot of hunger to grow the shit out of this brand, which was inspiring people to see the world as their gym at that time. And it was interesting because it's as simple and as difficult as just making a decision. Like I decide that I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how, but like I'm deciding that it's going to happen. I actually turned down two full-time job offers. The other one was for uh, the YMCA which is another interesting part of my story. Um, I did love that internship though. But yeah, I don't know. I just, something in me was like, try this, try this. The worst that could happen is that you don't like it, you fail, but you fail forward and you come into a a full-time job with experience that like, yeah, I tried to start a business and I had all these ideas and it didn't work, but here we are. We're in 2020, here we are four years later. I love how you said you only live once because like you can always go back to Amazon. Uh, I wouldn't go back. No, I mean like, but (laughs) I could get a job. You can always like, there's millions of Amazons out there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. You can always go back to that. But Mm -hmm. like you had this opportunity where you had grown this thing and it's like, you can't go back to trying to grow this thing in, in your moment. So that was amazing that you had the courage to take that decision. A lot of people don't. What was the hardest part about that decision? Um, probably trusting myself that I could actually do it. Um, I think that and also tuning out other people's negative opinions and what were some fears. of other people's opinions? 
for like my parents, which I'm very lucky. My parents have always been super supportive of this journey. But initially, you know, Amazon, it was pretty nice paycheck that I was going to be receiving and, and financial security has always been something I've been raised on. Like you need financial security. You don't, if you don't have financial security, like your life is over. And I understand the importance of that, but I don't want to live my life by that. I want to fun and I want to be creative and I want to connect with people. And that's what I do. I don't make a shit ton of money yet but I will because I'm doing what I love. So I think that was one of the biggest things is like, you're not going to have that security. Like what happens if one month I don't bring in the money I need to pay my bills? Uh, I think other thing was like, do you know how many other trainers there are? Right. Cause I was really teaching boot camps and doing personal training. I had no idea that my business was going to evolve to where it is right now. But yeah, I think that was some of the fear. And, and, and you have to remember, like, these are other people's fears being thrown up on you, right? They're scared of them not having financial security. They're playing those stories in their head. And I think some people were really just looking out. Some people were malicious because I think people knew that I could do it. I knew I could do it. And that, at the end of the day, that's all that really mattered. And I think the more that I stood by that and was like, don't worry about me. I appreciate you, but don't worry about me. Like, I'm going to handle my own. The more people realize, like, no, nah, she's serious. She's going to handle her own. And I have never once had to ask my parents for help. Not that they haven't helped willingly, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, and I worked at a restaurant the first six months out of graduation. Like that is what helped me start the business. Um, I love that you're saying this. Oh yeah. 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 We, you know, I, and I forget sometimes I forget that like I was working until one, 2 AM to wake up the next morning at six to teach a boot camp, And I did it because that's what provided me the rent. It provided me the money to be able to do what I was able to do. And until one day I was like, oh shit, I actually am bringing in enough money now to not have to work at the restaurant. And um, yeah, it only took about six, six to eight months. Um, and then I would go back to the restaurant on like high holiday weekends where you'd yeah. make like a thousand dollars for working two shifts. But yeah, yeah. So it's nice you, to think back on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, and it inspires you. You can do so much more. As human beings, like we always have this next level that our mind tells us we don't, but yeah. really, really, we know that we we have this little notch that we can turn. And I still remember, I was training clients like six to eight a.m. before my job, and then six to eight p.m. after my job. And today, it's such a privilege where it's like I get to wake up at six and like I have me time yeah. for two or three hours. Those are your hours. Yeah, they're yeah. mine, right? And then at six to eight to it's Aaron's hours, so we get to spend time together. So. I relish in the fact that I used to do X, which then provided me the ability to get to this next level. But you always have that ability to turn it back on, which is the coolest thing, because whether you're launching a new product or building a new team, you know that you've done it once and now you're actually smarter and wiser. So you could probably do it even more efficiently. So you, you get out and you jump into your boot camp. And was it thriving? Was there struggles? Or what did it look like the time that you were in Gainesville? So I'm assuming you were working with, still working with college students yeah. even after you had graduated? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the biggest struggle. So Gator Grind, the boot camp that I had originally started that kind of fueled this whole fire was a free boot camp. We asked for donations. We'd get donations here and there. We bought some cool equipment, but it wasn't like that was not going to sustain me. Right. And I think the hardest part for me was number one, for me to stop thinking like a college student in terms of like, oh, college students aren't going to have money to pay for my services. That was a big fear is like asking for my value. And I know this is something that you and I have talked about many times, but 
learning to ask for my value and not being so afraid of no. Um, because I heard no many times um, and I have a choice. A lot of people have a choice. You either get scared by those no's or you quickly realize, okay, that person's not for me and I'm going to go look for the fuck yes, which is what you taught me if it's, you know. So um, that was a struggle, like figuring out money um, because the boot camps where I was doing, oh, it's five to 10 bucks a person. I was really relying on how many people would come out to the boot camp and it just wasn't sustainable. My income was all over the place. One month I was hitting super high numbers, but over the summer I got shit on because everybody's gone over the summer, right? In a college town. And so um, I started going after businesses in Gainesville and doing workplace wellness programs is kind of was my next step. So I worked with some really cool, really big companies out of Gainesville. My very first one was a funeral home, which was really interesting. <laughs> um, and I've was, never actually heard that. Yeah, yeah, which was like a really cool place to do a workplace wellness program talking about health, right? These yeah. people worked around death all day. That's all they talked about all day. It's got to be so depressing. You're probably the best part of their day. It was It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. But it was my first, I'll, I'll never forget this, it was a three-month program. It was my first $1,000 check. I made a copy of it. I still have that copy of that check. It was like one of my biggest accomplishments was getting that check. And so, so that's really kind of how I shifted. It was like, okay, I can't rely just on college students and I want to be able to provide them value without relying on their money, workplace wellness programs, and then apartment complexes. So I got really big into the apartment complex world. Um, I was teaching boot camps at like nine different apartment complexes at one point where the apartment complex would pay me and they would offer it to their residents as an amenity. And so it became this really cool partnership where then when a parent comes with a new college student on a tour, they can say, yeah, we have fitness classes, you know, that your child can go to for free. It's part of, it's part of living here. So that was another way. And then I started getting into, I let, I lead the retreat for uh, the top 100 sophomores in the business school. I've been doing that for the last four and a half years. And that really got me into the world of planning events and retreats and using my creativity to teach business and teach communication and teach uh, personal branding. So I'm kind of rambling, but these are some of the ways. No, I love it. These are some of the ways. What the hell taught you all this? Because I think for a lot of listeners out there, Mm. we tend to label ourselves. And I was talking about this on Instagram the other day. We label ourselves as like this thing. So like you're going to Amazon and you're this operations person and we label ourselves as that person and we basically box ourselves in versus there's so much that we can do if we're willing to just learn and accept that like we just don't know it all and that's okay. So were there mentors? Was it Google? Like what, what was teaching you so that you had this boot camp and then you're like, I need to go start pitching small businesses or entities to provide my services? I was, I was honestly solving my own problems and solving the problems of people around me. I mean, I wasn't making enough money doing the boot camps the way I was doing them. So I asked myself, okay, well, what else can I do? How else can I make more consistent income? A lot of trial and error. And that's kind of where this idea of owning my shit came from. Like a lot of self-reflection what is working? Why isn't this working? The business school retreat specifically, I was part of this organization when I was a sophomore, became a mentor as a junior, sat on the advisory board as and a senior. what's the retreat called? It's called the Florida Leadership Academy is the name of the organization. It's the top 100 sophomores in the business school. There's a whole application interview process. And the gentleman who ran the program when I was in it, his name is Horace Tucker, um, huge mentor, role model of mine. When I graduated, he knew that I was going to stay in Gainesville and I love event planning. I'm very creative and I know that about myself. And if somebody gives me a framework for what they're trying to do, which I, in this case, I obviously knew the business organization fairly well and what the pillars were and why they hold a retreat. It was really his idea. He was like, what do you think about leading the retreat? And I was like, 
I'd love to, but usually mentors do that. Are you sure? And he's like, yeah, they don't want to do it. You're great at it. Do it. And I remember um, he let me come up with my own price which I think I charged him the first time, like a hundred students, right? Over like five or six hours in a day. I think I charged like three, four hundred dollars because I had no idea. I was like, (laughs) is this okay? Is this too much? And um, he got back to me later. He's like, I would have paid you like easily like three to four times that, but you have to learn. Like I wasn't going to tell you that. You have to learn. Live and learn. Um, Yeah, (laughs) which we've talked about a lot recently. So yeah, I think for whatever reason, like when I graduated, I had this sense of like childhood wonder again and no fear of something not working out. You know, like I led a retreat for a couple sororities and one sorority specifically, it was epic fucking fail. Like it was just everything about the <laughs> okay, retreat. Okay, so yeah. I, you ha- go go deep and narrow on this one because yeah. like this, <laughs> this caught my attention. So yeah. I've never heard of sorority retreats and I want to hear what is the success in a sorority treat and what, what is this failure? That's a great, well, we learned to define that. So this was, um, I was also leading sisterhood events for sorority. So I would do a glutes by girt workout. Okay. Um, so like little butt workouts or core workouts, things like that. Just another way, again, like the sorority pays me, their girls show up. I capped it at 50 women and, um, I led workouts and then I don't remember how I ended up getting the gig with this specific sorority. I think one of their sisters maybe was in FLA, came to the FLA retreat and was like, wait, we need somebody to plan our retreat. It was 300 women, 300 women, uh, which obviously I knew I could not handle by myself. So I hired my friends to, which mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Mistake Oh, you're really living and learning. Mistake number one. Uh, don't just hire your friends. Like I love my friends, but they serve a very specific role, which was not to be alongside me during this retreat. So, um, and it also too, like there was a lot of uh, moving parts here. The, the sorority reached out to me like two weeks before the retreat. It was very short notice. So I kind of had to scramble. They had worked with the, um, student rec center the last year. We're very unhappy. Didn't want to use them again. And so I put together this retreat bring my friends along to lead. And um, yeah, it just, nothing worked out the way I wanted it to. It ended up raining in the middle of the retreat, which the really- What was the purpose of this retreat? Um, They had new members, like a hundred or like like maybe 70 or 80 new girls that had been inducted into the sorority. And it was like their beginning of the semester. Okay. Hoorah, basically. So, you know, some fun activities, but also some like in-depth discussions and- I thought I came up with a dope ass retreat, you know, and yeah, you know, I could tell at the retreat, a lot of the girls were disengaged. A lot of the girls were on their phone. Again, it was a lot of girls and it was me. And I think I had brought four other of my friends with me. And once the retreat was over, I sent them an email. I was like thanking them for the opportunity. Would love your feedback, right? Would love to know what you thought about this. Yeah, very painful email in response. And again, we won't get into the details of like how I think the sorority, their president and their team should have showed up better for for this. But, you know, I'm going to own my shit. Yeah. Yeah. But basically the email said, listen, like overall, we got like pretty negative feedback about the retreat. And I think the last line of the email, like still hurts me today to say this. (laughs) The last line of the email said something along the lines of like, we know that fitness is your specialty. Maybe it's like basically what you should stick with is like was the last line of the email. 
Yeah, I know. My wow. my poor heart. My poor heart. So, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm reading that and I'm like, oh my God, like, are they right? Was I weighing over my head? I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. Um, and I'm so glad, like, obviously I learned a lot from that. I'm so glad I didn't listen to that though, because I have successfully led seven other retreats for specifically the business school, other sororities on campus, other business uh, organizations on campus. And, um, you know, you always get better. So, yeah, the, ooh, the takeaway the takeaway there is choose your clients wisely. Oh yeah, oh like, yeah, yeah. They, people in the business world, when you initially get into it, it's like, yeah, I want everybody. Sure, like it's like a fire hose. Yep. Give me everyone. Yep. You learn really quickly. I don't want everybody. <laughs> no, I learned, and and even even in terms of like that's what I'm learning now too in this kind of new pivot of my business, which is more habit and mindset coaching. And this is something I personally am, am learning to work through, right? Like focusing on the short-term money gains, right? Like obviously I want to have a big impact. I also need to pay my bills. And so I, a lot of times I get caught up as like, okay, is this going to bring me the money I need in the moment? Instead of focusing on where is this going to launch yeah. me in the long run, which is I know we have a – I've reached out to you about something this week where I kind of was in that same mentality of like looking at the short-term money gains. And because I wasn't focused on the long-term, I lost that opportunity. It's painful, but um, fail fast, fail forward. And, yeah, and that just, is like my motto of the you week. Just, <laughs> you just learn and you live and you learn. And in terms of that, like every good, great, excellent client is going to bring you another one. Yeah. So that's why you need to stack excellent clients and define like, what is it? What is the perfect client to you? And like the more that you work with those clients, they're going to bring you those other amazing people because yeah. shitty people hang around shitty people and like great people hang around great people. It's yeah. just a fact. We're the sum of who we hang around most. Sure. And it, that's what happens with clients is just like, typically if you have a great client, what do they look like? What's their demographic? What brought them to you? Well, there's probably, that's the honey hole of, where all other great ones are. And then that long-term thing. And it's it's super hard when you are trying to pay your bills and you're trying to keep things afloat. But one of the things that I always fall back on when I'm when I'm thinking about this world is is this company or person that I'm working with, if I took the money away from this, would I still work with this yeah. person? Yeah. And like help this person. And if it was a yes, like I'll do it. And then believing that they're going to bring me another person that's like them or I'm going to get an opportunity that's just as significant and it's going to pay. Yeah. So I was on another podcast recently and they were asking me about like what's been your biggest block or obstacle and it's been my ego, right? And I think for a lot of people, it's our ego. It's this instant gratification. Why? Where do you think that comes from? Um, how I was raised, right? Like status, instant gratification. Like I was known for having like the titles and the positions and I'm a leader and I like people to see me in that role and I want people to see me doing boss shit, right? And I think I have found and I'm continuing to learn, like I can have a balance between that. Like I can do those things and make sure that it's coming from my heart and not just stroking my ego. But yeah, accepting this this retreat I think I was a year out of graduation was a total ego move. It was like, oh my God, I get to say that I let a retreat for this sorority and it was 300 women and I did it. Um, and you're basically doing it to put it on the resume. Exactly. And that's a lot. That's what a lot of people. And again, like I get reached out to a lot on social media. Like I want this new job or I want to try this new thing. And my first question is like, why, what does it do for your life? Yeah. Why does this even matter? Long term. And it's like most people aren't asking themselves that question. And one of the things that I think might be able to help you, especially in the le the leadership thing, 
you want to succeed and you want to excel, you're competitive, you're an athlete. But if you really look at the greatest leaders of all time, the greatest leaders of all time breed other leaders. So when you're less focused on like your title and more focused on building a platform to give everyone else a title, yep. you then become like the leader of leaders. Yep. And that's kind of like how I've looked at things is like, how do I reduce my ego so much that I get what I want because I, I want to live a life that I enjoyed and I look back on them and I'm happy about and that has leading things and being competitive. But when I really stripped that down, I was like, what actually gets me is not telling other people I'm a leader. It's who have I led? Yeah. And that's really like- And what have they you, done with exactly, their lives? Yeah. Like what have the people you led done with their lives? Because if you show up and you do this thing for those 300 women and you never see them again, it doesn't really fill your cup. Yeah. But if you spend your time with five people and those five people get new jobs and they get a significant other that they're super happy with and they go on to do great things, then it's like, wow, like that person, like we had this special thing. Yeah. We're working on that in our business. I'm working with our interns and, and Hamza on kind of like bringing that awareness of like working with what you've got. Don't strive for the new client. Like we already have these clients, lead them. Like let's be the best we can be for the people that we already have around us. So that's kind of like how I've thought about it. And obviously like you've grown into that because you've run successful retreats afterwards and reducing the ego of learning about what it is uh, to become a great leader. And then even so now, like you have this brand where it's all about owning your shit. So mm -hmm. I'd love to ask, yeah. How did you come up with that? Like, when did that start? Mm. I mean, there wasn't one moment. I, I don't remember the moment where I was like, oh, my God, I own my shit and I'm going to I'm going to help other people specifically. I think it really started with me doing this self-reflection and owning, taking ownership over my own life that I don't have to be a victim to like my past conditioning, which is a big journey I'm on right now. Right. Rewiring the things that I learned from my parents and from society like that I think or thought that I believed, but didn't necessarily believe. I just thought I believed. And I think this, the more I did that, I was, I started to be very vulnerable on Instagram and, and in group settings where I just like no filter, like, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. And I'm not afraid to own my shit and just say like, I fucked up or I, I'm not sure how to handle this, or I'm feeling really good about this thing. And little by little, I, I recognize that in me just doing that, it created the space for others to do the same. And I realized too, like how trapped I felt in my old conditioning and my inner critic and my judgments of myself and the world. I won't achieve any of the things that I want to achieve if I don't work through some of these things and realize that it was the same way for other people. And I think fitness had a really big role in that uh, because my whole life I've been, um, I've always been known for my body right? I've always been really little. I've always been really athletic. I've always been very fit, had a nice little butt, whatever. That's all. That's what I've been told my whole life. And so I started to equate my self-worth to my body. And if you don't see my body, you don't see me as a person. And we won't go down that whole rabbit hole. But when I got to UF and I found the gym, um, you know, I put on a lot of muscle and, and really, really shaped my body, was getting a lot of compliments, but found myself still looking in the mirror really unhappy. Like, but I have this body, like, oh, I'm so strong. Like I could do all these things. Like, why am I still so miserable? And it's because I had fallen really in love with my earth suit, but not really in love with the soul that was living inside that earth suit. And I made a decision. Like I could continue to love on my earth suit and live life 
you know, filtering everything at like just through my Ursu, or I can do the work to fall in love with my soul. And I chose that journey and I've been on that journey ever since. And you have to own your shit in order to, at least the way I think, in order to, to fall in love with your soul. You got to explore all parts of it. Make the unconscious conscious, right? These are questions that we need to be asking in school. Yeah. Oh, thousand percent. Like you never even hear any of this. And that's really the saddest part is just like, I love how you talked about the conveyor belt babies. I've never heard that. And I'm going to take that with me from this episode. (laughs) Literally what Um, it is. Because really really, like go to school, go from first to 12th grade, right? Then go to college, then get your job. Try to meet a significant other, then buy the house, then get the dog, then have the kids, right? Then be miserable for 20 years, right? Until you're free again and can retire, right? And not realize why you're so miserable. Like I don't remember anybody asking me, Danielle, how do you define happiness? How do you define success? Who is somebody that you look up to that like models these things for you? Um, well, you're not allowed to be miserable. That's no. the other thing. It's just like <laughs> everyone's walking around miserable, but we're not allowed to be miserable. In my life, it's like, oh, like I would come home and I would complain about something. And it's, well, there's someone else that doesn't have food. So eat your food because I didn't like what was cooked or whatever. So it's just like you can never win. You can never – it's like – the world that we grow up in and I'm not nitpicking on like where I grew up. It was amazing. My parents are amazing. It was just one thing that we <laughs> mom grew- and dad, if we, you're listening yeah, to this, we, I love my you. <laughs> mom is, um, we, we can all relate to like, that's kind of like, and it's, it's not their fault cause that's what they were brought up percent. into as well. And down. I'm trying to break that. It's just like, I want to be grateful for everything around me because my soul, like I realized that life is a gift not because someone says I need to be a certain thing or do a certain thing or because something else in the world is going on because literally in this moment, I just want to be happy and I want to be fulfilled. And most people aren't ever asked. No one comes up to you. Are you happy today? Yeah. Are you fulfilled with your life? Yeah. Like when I was in the corporate world, no, that would have shell-shocked half people. They wouldn't even know how to answer that question. No, they, right? they people focus on it. You know, it's it's kind of like it's a lot of like what Tony Robbins talks about, right? There's a lot of rich people that are super broke. A lot of rich people that are super broke because they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. They got a shit ton of money, but they don't have the things in life that actually light them up. We're not taught that those are the things that we should go to try to seek in the world, Right. And, and something that I ask my clients all the time, if, if fear wasn't present in your life, what would you do? Who would you be if fear wasn't present? And it's pretty Great incredible question. to hear. I mean, ask your, I feel like you do that. You, you live that the answer you'd probably I give. I stared but, death in the face. <laughs> yes, and then I was just like, that's face. why, that's what why up? we're, that's why you have this couch that you're sitting on right now. It's like, man, this was scary getting this. Hell yeah. I'm not going to lie. Trying to like level up is fucking scary. I get an email before this, two people sending me quotes. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay any of this shit or what I'm going to do to have to like fear is staring at me all the time. But nowadays it's not necessarily like I'm afraid to do this. It's more so I want to do this and this exterior thing's holding me back. I got to solve this problem. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, just add another thing to the list <laughs> of things to solve. My but like, co- yeah. Breaking down that fear of like, if you didn't have fear, what would you become? That I think that is really what I asked myself in a runaround way because I didn't ask it as coherently as you just did. But it was like, I want to be a podcast host. I want to be an angel investor. I want to build businesses. Well, Right now we're podcasting. I invested in some interns and a team and I'm building businesses. So like other than that, like that's what fulfills me. So my coach says that, which I really love, um, he says, call bluff on your fears. 
because they're stories, right? They're, they're, they're stories. They're stories. You know, I grew up with parents who always struggle with money. So here I am with stories ingrained in my head of money is scary. More Money's never going to come to me. I have to be very careful. I have to tiptoe around my money. And amongst many other things. Um, Which and- then, but then that leads to like when you're trying to get clients and whatever, that that thing was bred in you when you were a little kid. And then when you go to get this client, you have this misconception. You're not even thinking about the money in the way that if there was no fear around this money is non-existent, right? Would I work with this person? Yep. You don't ask yourself I've taken, that. I've taken on some clients for the money because I needed it and it never works out. It never, ever, ever works out, ever. So call bluff on your fears. If you're listening, call bluff on your fears. What's on the other side of that? And, you know, like you said, like when I'm laying on my deathbed one day, I want to only remember all of the risks I took and how much fun I had and how many times I fell on my face and got back up and laughed and dust my knees off and kept going. I got my sister this birthday card recently and I thought this was really, really epic. It's like these two older women. It's like life isn't meant for us to like show up to our casket with like no scratches or anything right like I want to come in like sliding with like cuts and bruises and like a champagne glass in my hand right like I want to come in with stories I want to come in with gives me chills yeah with adventure like I want to you want to live I want to live you want to live you want to thrive thrive on life (laughs) you want to fuel your passion and thrive on life yes but I know you have a hard stop today so we got a couple minutes left yeah and I'd love to talk a little bit more about what brought you, why Austin? Mm. Uh, what brought you here? And then what are you up to today so that the audience can kind of continue on with your journey? Because we talked a little bit about your past and what got you to this point. Yeah. Um, but I'd love for them to hear kind of like what brought you to Austin and where are you going now so that way they can support you. Yeah, thank you. Um, what brought me to Austin? Um, calling bluff on my fears. I'd been here a couple times, as you know, and have always just loved the energy I knew also for a while that I wanted to leave Gainesville. And the moment I called bluff on that fear of leaving and getting out of my comfort zone and moving somewhere where I was going to be a very small fish in a very big pond, where in Gainesville I was a very big fish in not a very big pond, Austin just kept popping up. And I figured, screw it. I mean, what could I lose, right? I'm going to come here. I'll be here. I had you, which is great. Um, So yeah, so that's, that's what brought me here. I have no idea, like, People ask me, like, why are you here? I have no idea. Whatever wants to happen, I'm going to open myself to happening. I don't know why I'm here. But what am I up to? So today, I call myself an ownership coach. So I work with people to take ownership over their lives and their wellness, aka to own their shit. And I do that by teaching them the art and the science of habit and mindset transformation. So very educational-based, teaching them about the fundamentals of habits and mindsets and where does this shit actually come from. So um, I lead ninety day uh, a 90-day own your shit transformation transformation program uh, for women all over the country where I walk them through my method of, of taking ownership over your life and breaking down a lot of these fears and these barriers, basically making the unconscious conscious. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by Carl Jung is, um, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll direct your life and you will call it fate. And that is the journey I was on until I said, fuck that. (laughs) I don't want that to be what directs my fate. I want to direct my fate. So um, I started started doing this work, um, very much still growing all of these things. I'm working on a course right now, an Own Your Shit course, which I'm very excited about. Um, And still learning a lot about me. And I'm very open to learning a lot about me right now. Um, I'm 26. 
Um, I'm here, I'm living it up, I'm single, and I'm enjoying becoming the best version of myself so that I can show up for other people in the best way. So that's what I'm doing. Um, it's a great response. Yeah. And so I have two final questions. So you run these 90-day transformations. What can someone expect after they walk out of this transformation? What, mm. are they, what are they coming in like and what are they leaving like? Great question. Thank you for challenging me to be able to, to speak on this. Um, so what are they coming in with? Typically, I see a lot of people who are, a lot of women, so I work with women specifically or those who identify as women in the program um, who are very stuck, who um, have read the books and listened to the podcasts and journaled the journal entries, but still feel like they're fighting themselves. So that's a lot of who walks in the program, not a lot of confidence in their abilities to get out of this place. Um, and the people that walk out of the program are uh, just incredibly aware of who they are, what they want, why they want it, aware of what a lot of their limiting beliefs are, what their inner child needs, which that could be a whole nother podcast is just focusing and, and, and nurturing an inner child that probably needs a lot of love in a lot of areas. Yeah, I've had clients who have switched jobs, who have found love, who have started businesses, who have gone and traveled the world because it's something that they've always wanted to do. Oh, yeah. And it's not, I'm not doing those things for them. I'm just pulling, helping them pull the weeds out so that whatever's in their heart can really shine through. And I get better and better at doing it every program because I learn so much from the women who go through my program and they inspire the shit out of me every day to keep owning my shit so that I can help them own theirs. And um I'm very lucky. I feel really grateful right now to do what I do. It's amazing. Thank so, you. So last question, because yeah. I know you got somewhere to be and I want to get you out of here on time. No, I appreciate you. Someone out there that's listening, what questions are they like asking themselves and then how do they get in contact with you? So mm -hmm. if someone that was wanting to kind of like pick your brain or potentially work with you in the future, what kind of they're going through? You kind of went through it right now, but yeah. like what kind of questions are they asking themselves and what would be the best way to reach out to you? So I, I guess um, I kind of took that question a couple different ways. I think some of the questions that my potential clients are asking themselves is, how do I get out? How do I get unstuck? How do I get out of this place? Am I really capable of doing everything I think I want to do? And they're kind of battling some of those limiting beliefs. So if you are asking yourself this, it's a lot of the work that I do. But if you want to just know questions to ask yourself to gain some more clarity, um, I would say asking yourself, if fear was not present in my life, what would I do? Who would I be? How do I define? This is a huge thing I realize people have never done before is what does happiness, success, fulfillment, love, wealth, what does that actually mean to you? And uh, what does owning your shit mean? And what does that look like? And how to contact me. I am redesigning my website, but daniellegertner.com. You can always shoot me a message on there. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Danielle Gertner, which I'm, you probably have show notes, so you could spell it. I won't spell it right now. And one of these days, I am, uh, I'm going to be starting the Own Your Shit podcast. So now that I said it on a podcast, I guess I have it. to do it now. Yep. Uh, it's something Hell I yeah. really, really want to do. So. You got to own your shit and own your shit. <laughs> own my sh I'm telling you, man, it's, it is the most challenging thing. Like, like. Yeah, I have to own my shit just as much as I tell other people to own hey, their that, shit. That's why I started Thrive on Life. If if I start a brand called Thrive on Life, I have to thriving. live up and be fucking thriving. <laughs> you better be like, thriving obviously, on life. there's days that are bad, and yeah. like I go through the ringer. But like Same. every day, I'm like, how do I take this next level? How do I get one percent better? How do I mm -hmm. continue not to just survive but to thrive? So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast is we, we connect on that wavelength. And there's so much we didn't get into. So eventually, in the future, we'll probably Part come two. back to this. I 
I would love to and have part a part two. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for, for, for being on the podcast, owning your shit and being a little bit vulnerable and sharing that with the audience. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you for, for this and for everything. You are definitely a big role model of mine. So, oh man, that, that means a lot. And yeah, we'll, we'll chat a little bit offline, but some of the things that Danielle went over today were super impactful. And one of the things that stuck with me the most was when she said, you only live once. So this brings back a really great memory of mine of when I was in high school, my buddy used to have a Mustang and it doesn't really relate to this story, but we would be driving in his car and we'd be deciding like, what, what do we want to do that day? Um, and it was like, drive here or travel here, or see this thing. And we'd just be like, fuck it. You only live once. So <laughs> that was our, our mentality then when we're, when we're in high school. Um, but now like that, that you said that it brought back that memory. And I just, it really, uh, I really appreciate it because my motto is like, make every heartbeat count. And I really want to inspire everybody out there that's listening that really define exactly what Danielle said at the end there, the wealth, happiness, love, all of that. Listen to that part. That's really what's most important in your life. And then realizing that like every heartbeat that you have and every step that you take could be your last. So define those things and then start taking those steps towards actually gaining those things within your life and bring your dreams to reality. So this was a super impactful one. And I'm so grateful for all of you listening. I can't wait to hop on here again. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. On behalf of our small team behind the scenes and myself, thank you so much for listening to another one of our Thrive on Life episodes. The time you spend with us is very much appreciated. As mentioned before the show, our mission is always to help those around us get better. We fully understand that we can go so much further in life together as a team, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So if you're interested in joining our community, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. Within this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement. Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. This aspect is critical to our world becoming a better place for everyone, and we are proud of our group because it represents this. For other updates on the podcast community and business, please join our weekly mailing list. We'd love to hear from you. And before I leave you, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.